We don't want or shouldn't help those people. Those people feel there is no hope, no future. Time to change the story. This is re-entry. Do you feel like there's a difference when you're talking to people between sex offenders and those who've just been incarcerated? They, uh, they think differently when it comes to uh, sexual abuse. I believe a lot of people do. They stereotype us. They think we're all kinds of bad and evil and everything, you know? Mm. When, in fact, a lot of us have been sexually abused when we were growing up, you know? Mm. So it's not something a lot of times that y'all just set out to do. It, a lot of times no. it's been something that's done to no. you as well. Yes, that, that's part of it. But a lot of it has to do with, uh, like when I was growing up, I lived in a church type environment. And I was really into God and Jesus. And, uh, but uh, there was a lot of things in my childhood, you know. I was picked on and bullied and uh, I had low self-esteem. And then I was sexually abused in my childhood too. But uh, it was when I turned 17 and uh, me and my girlfriend was gonna have a baby and uh, her father made her get an abortion. And uh, of course we had, we had sex out of wedlock, you know. I played a big part in that. We both had a part in that. But anyway, her father made her get an abortion. and uh, So it's not something y'all wanted? So we wanted the baby. You did? Yeah, but her real father made her get an abortion. And uh, that really devastated me. Mm. And from then, from then on, I told myself, I'm not going to have another relationship to where I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to fall in love and get hurt like that again. Because it just really devastated me, you know. What, did y'all end the relationship afterwards? She did. She did? She had to. Oh, she had to. So not only did he make you abort the baby, but he also made y'all stop seeing each other as well. Then at that time, my parents got a divorce, and then that happened. And that just, that just blew my my mind. How back-to-back was that? Maybe a year. So within a year, you had both things happen to you? Yeah. Yikes. And, uh, and you did say that you had some sexual abuse in your own past. Mm-hmm. Was that like a one-time thing, or was it ongoing for a long time? That was a couple of times. No, it wasn't. No, it was a couple of times. And did you ever have anybody, either with the abortion, breaking up with the girl, your parents divorcing? At that point, did you have anybody you, you could go and talk to? Well, you see, that was the problem then. I did not. I didn't. I mean, I had my sisters and I had my siblings, but, you know, when there's a few years older than you, there's, there's not much counseling, not much help in that. Mm. And of course, they were all on their own at that time anyway. But anyway, that's when I met my, my first wife, and uh, that turned out to be very abusive, mainly abusive on her part to me. She was always throwing things up in my face, making accusations that weren't true about me and my family, me and having sexual relations with my sisters, uh, me having sexual relations with other people. So she accused things. you of actually having incest with your own sisters? Right. And we were together for four or five years. and uh, Was she ever physically abusive to yes. you? Yes. What was that like? What did she do? She would hit me. I'd try to walk away, I'd walk away, and then she'd jump on me. Because at that time, I still had respect for women, you know. But then after a few years, uh, 
we were, I was taking care of my father. We were living at his house. And it just was really, really bad. My drinking got really heavy and I had friends that drank and did drugs and uh, I got home with the wrong people. And at that time I was also looking at pornography, magazines. And I started uh, objectifying women. Instead of living in a healthy environment where you love one woman, I tended, I, I, I went astray from that because I didn't want to get hurt again. So I got promiscuous, started going to the bars, started dancing, and started taking different women home. And are you still married at this point? No, it's right after we got, we separated. I was in my early 20s then. But at that time, after the pornography and everything and the drug addiction, then got into cocaine. Most of everything in my life I wasn't dealing with in a healthy nature. And I didn't have good, healthy people around me. And I made bad choices. I mean, I had choices and I made the wrong decisions. It's not, it's my fault for not seeking other relations, going down the road I did. But sometimes when you're young, you know, you want to party, you want to have a good time. That's when you start thinking about yourself and, and not other people. Then you add in your drug addiction and your alcoholism thinking yourself before you do others. And I continue down the road of uh, going to strip clubs, still hanging around with people who drank. So I made the bad decision to hang around with those people. But my biggest, I think my biggest downfall was the fact that my early childhood, they being hurt so bad, and not being able to cope with the things that happened to me. Now what happened to you in your early childhood? Uh, like I said, you know, I was shamed, had low self-esteem, and I had a couple of sexual abuses and everything. Has somebody sexually abused you? Yeah, a couple of times, yes. How old were you when that was going on? I was about eight, twelve. That, and that contributed to your low self-esteem? Yeah. And it got to where I didn't have the right kind of feelings for people that I should have. Mm-hmm. And throughout all of this, did you have anybody that was saying, hey, Brian, go this direction? Like, you're, you're headed down a dark path. No. I was going to say that. My dad was an alcoholic. My, he was a good man, but he was an alcoholic. But he was not an open person. My mom did most of the raising of my family. Mm-hmm. My dad worked two jobs. So I never had my father as a father figure until I was well into my teens. And of course, me, me and him drank, you know. When you were a young teenager, you drank with your dad? Yeah, I say, I say young, 16, 17. Okay, that's pretty young. Well, I started drinking and smoking pot when I was in seventh grade. Okay, seventh grade? Yeah. Who introduced you to alcohol and pot in the seventh grade? My family. Your family? My siblings. So it was just, your family life was sexual abuse, Alcohol, drugs. One well, thing about that, the drugs and the alcohol, they helped uh, cover the pain, and they kind of help you not think about things. Like I say, it was it was 30 years before I took the blame for what happened with the abortion, because I always blamed it on them. The girl and her family. Yeah, when you go to a state of denial, when you don't face up to your own actions and your own deeds. I was an introvert most of that time, unless I was drinking or, you know, and then I was very outspoken and I wasn't a nice, I wasn't a nice person. I was very hurtful to people. 
because I was hurt deep on the inside. When you become an alcoholic, you lash out at other people. If you don't find a healthy way to deal with your own emotions, your own problems, the things that have happened to you in your life, if you can't find a healthy way to deal with that or have someone help you understand how to deal with it, then you bury your emotions and then you medicate yourself. So, Brian, you're um, 22, 23 years old. Um, you've been sexually abused as a child, and there's no way a child ever has what it takes to put all that together and handle that. A child just then is not equipped to handle being sexually abused. Back then, you didn't talk about those things. Yeah. Things like that happened. <coughs> mm -hmm. Put a blanket over it and went yeah. on. But you're now you're 22, 23 years old. You've been abused. Uh, it's at 11, 12 years old. There in the seventh grade, you started drinking and uh, taking using drugs. And you've met a girl and gotten her pregnant. She's had an abortion, and uh, you she left your life at that point and you met and married a girl for whom you did not have appropriate feelings for a marriage and she was emotionally and physically abusive toward you blaming you and accusing you of things that that you did not do and at the same time being physically abusive to you and that marriage has gone away and now you're going to the strip clubs and you're addicted to pornography and you're addicted to alcohol and you're addicted to drugs uh, lost are you in are you addicted to cocaine at that time yes okay he talked about that for a few minutes about what addiction was like for you uh, no one that's ever done cocaine can understand what cocaine does to you that or crack I mean, I was trying to cover up pain and hurt, anger, and that worked. But yet, I was living a very destructive life. Not only did I hurt myself, but I hurt everyone around me. I'm not talking about exactly my offense that I committed, which was a decency with a child. But I hurt a lot, a lot of people. The things I said to them, the way I treated them. But once you get into that cycle of alcoholism and drug addiction, most people don't understand how hard it is to quit. It's terribly, terribly hard to quit. I take it there were times where you wanted to? Oh, I wanted to my whole adult life. So what clicked from teens to 20s? That Whenever made I committed you my offense is when I, is when I clicked, when I snapped. Because I hurt somebody I dearly, dearly loved. Did you ever think that was possible before that? No. Now, Brian, when you committed your offense, which was indecency with a child, were you in your right mind? No. Were you drunk? Were you drugged up? Both. Both. So you had alcohol and cocaine in your system. You had programmed yourself to objectify uh, persons. And as a result, you ended up uh, doing something that you had, you'd never fantasized about doing that. Never. You'd never fantasized about hurt, uh, using a child or hurting a child in that way. No, I did not. And then once that offense occurred, did 
you go to jail right away, or did yeah, it I turned take myself some time? in. You turned yourself in. Yeah. What it's was like four what days was that after about? that. It's like four days after that. And what in your mind made you go? Okay, I need to turn myself in. Well, I knew I did wrong. Mm. And because uh, at that time I was freaked out, I was drunk. I, I went on the drinking rampage that week. I couldn't believe I did what I did. I put myself in denial. Mm-hmm. I tried running, but I couldn't. And uh, I got a phone call and said, well, the detective wants to talk to you. I said, sure. I talked to the detective, yeah, I'll be in. And I knew what was gonna happen. Just like four days later, I, I went in and, and I gave him a story. And they arrested me right there. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody had said something to someone the a detective just oh no they went she went to the hospital her mom took her to the hospital that night to see if i penetrated her or did anything like that which i had not but they took her to the hospital that night and so they knew immediately okay okay yeah. and when the detective got around to calling you you went straight in mm-hmm. and you told the story of of what happened in that particular event mm-hmm what happened after that? He wanted to take it to court and I did not. I didn't want to take her through that. But he went all the way to the trial. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because he wanted me to testify. Mm-hmm. I already admitted to doing it. I've done it. You know. So the judge, they offered me seven years at first. And then attorney called my sister. He said they're offering seven years. My sister told him no. The next thing I know, I got to sell a lawyer and it turned into 10. Uh, Whatever they gave me, you know, I was justified you know, for doing what I did. Mm-hmm. So you you got ten years, and uh, so how long were you actually in prison? Uh, one year in county, five years in prison. Okay, so six years, and we're coming up on a time. Uh, this is June of 2019, where we're sitting having this conversation. And sometime later this year, you'll be off parole in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's different now? <laughs> I did a 180. Mm-hmm. But when I did the same thing that happened to me when I was a child, yeah, that opened my eyes up. Then when I went to when I went to uh, prison, I would still have a lot of sexual dreams every night. Really? Yes, because this is still in your brain. Your program. It's, it, 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 you have to deprogram yourself. Right. And I spent years when I first went in praying to God, asking Him to take those dreams away from me. When you went in, how long had it been before you kind of started reprogramming? Like, did you first day in, all right, I'm shutting this down, I'm going to start reading my Bible, I'm going to do everything, or was there something that kind of transitioned that over time? Think about it, just I was going to church prior to all this. It's one thing going to church and saying you're a Christian. It's one thing to, to talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. You can't go to church and then come out of the church and start drinking, start cussing, start carrying on. It's not walking the walk. And God's still there, but you're not doing what He's asking you to do. You're, you're living in self. As long as you live in self, He's going to let you do what you're going to do. After I went into prison, and after I hurt that little girl, 
Then I went after that relationship with God. I said, God, the drugs and alcohol are gone. Now I need you. I'm leaning on you to help me through my life. And so we progressively, through six years, <laughs> he turned me around 180. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Well, Grant Bryan is telling us that he has become a repentant, remorseful person about his past, uh, where he did wrong, and uh, his repentance and remorse have helped him reprogram his mind and his heart, and he is a different person. I've known Brian for about three years. We've been together a few times. Brian's been in my home a few times and I I just have a high trust level for Brian uh, his offense uh, that he committed didn't deny it addressed it uh, is the kind of thing that we can look at and, and we find it reprehensible it's better that we don't deal with these folks just with anger because as we've heard Brian say uh, today what went on with him in his offense had already occurred to him. So now you, if you're going to be mad, you have to be mad at two generations mm -hmm. and probably back beyond that. And it, it's just better if we can find a way to uh, lovingly, graciously address this issue. And that's what we try to do at Chains of Grace. And Brian, we really appreciate your honesty. What else would you want to tell us before we, we are done today? What I'd like to say is that I hope my testimony and my truthfulness helps at least one person that listens to this podcast. Because if I can help just one person, then I have done a great thing for God and the kingdom of God. Because every one of us has been hurt. Every one of us is going to hurt somebody else. And we all need to be forgiven. Thank you, Ryan. Everybody's story here is going to help other people understand that, hey, they're not alone in this, and they're not far from this, and it's a lot closer than you think. And if we can just come together and talk about this stuff and get that candor out there that this is real, this is really what happens, and, and, and we can finally understand where you're coming from, then the hate doesn't have to be there and the anger doesn't have to be there. A lot of hate comes from not understanding. A lot of hate comes from not knowing. But I tell you what, everybody needs another chance. No sin is greater than another in God's eyes. In human eyes they are. But the thing about it is we all need love. We all need brotherly and sisterly love. That's why God put us here to take care of one another. So if you've heard this out there and this resonates with you and you want to give some of that brotherly love back, now you understand like, hey, this is not far off from my own story or the story of my sister or the story of my best friend. These are the type of guys that we're, that we're trying to help here. These are the type of guys that we're trying to revitalize and reprogram and allow them to have the support around them to do so. But that doesn't happen unless we have people like you out there helping support us so please continue to listen uh come here every other week 
Um, it, it, hopefully it's that. It may be a little further in between, but hopefully every other week, hear more about these stories, these ways that you can help support. We're still needing that support to help open up homes for more guys like Brian, like Eric, like John, like Juan, and more people like Rachel to come on and say, hey, this, this is what my passion in life is going to be, and I want to sacrifice for that. So if that is you out there, please join us every other week here on the podcast. You can get to it through our website, chainsofgrace.org. You can go to our social media, Chains of Grace, at Facebook, Twitter, um, or you can email us directly. Go on to the Contact Us. Find, a, find Rick's email on there, telephone number. We are here to educate you, to help you understand, so that we can have more of these stories come out and more of the relationships healed than broken. So thank you for coming today, listening to us. Rick, I really appreciate you coming out. Grant, thank you for all that you do for Chains of Grace Ministry. And I want to thank my friend Brian for coming in here today and just being an honest man. That's right. Until next time, this is Reentry.